This Q&A segment, it breathes fresh life and possibility into the program, and you never know what you're going to get. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome to the Valor Coffee Podcast. I'm Ethan. I sat down with Ross today and we chopped up seasonal menus, latte art, what you should and should not put on your menu at a coffee shop. Dove into a couple questions. It was a sweet time. Ross is awesome. It was awesome. Speaking of awesome, we tried some coffee from Bellwood in Atlanta and it blew us away. We're going to give that a review at the end of the program, so stay tuned for that. And then also, this podcast is in partnership with Clive Coffee. So if you use code VALOR5 after clicking on the link below on Luca and Eureka products on their website, that's 5% off for you, which with coffee gear goes a long way. So use code VALOR5 after you're clicking on that link and that helps support this program and making this magic happen every week. Well, as always, hope you enjoy the show. See you in there. Hey. Dap me up, fam. Dap me up, fam. So glad to have you on my podcast. Thanks Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I wanted to actually sit down and ask you a couple questions. Okay. Uh, Now, which one to use Valor and which one to use coffee? (laughs) Ethan Valor, nice to meet me. Hey, we got some awesome coffee. It's true. From Bellwood. This Kenya, man. We We have the same one. Busted. Same one. I think we had it first. I'm kidding. I don't know. Okay. What for, for people who don't know out there, especially, uh, when it comes to regional roasters, so, you know, in our case, that would be roasters in Georgia, roasters just in the Southeast in general, maybe just East coast. Mm. We're getting, <laughs> we're getting our coffees, our green coffees from the same importers. Right. And we're always probably all of us, meaning roasters are trying to find new importers so that this doesn't happen. But I remember the first time that we had one of our favorite coffees very early on, Guatemala Islama. Huehuetenango. It was a wayway. <laughs> it was a wayway. <laughs> and it was washed. And it was like our, basically our flagship coffee. And then I was like on Methodical's website and I was like, wait, they have that coffee too. And then I thought about it and I was like, oh, well, they just work with the same or- importer that we do. This was back in 2018. Well, yeah, I mean, it just makes sense that these importers that have their whole Coffee lists are sending probably oh. similar samples, right? Oh, come on, Cappy. Um, sending the same, probably, you know, 10 coffees out to a specialty coffee roaster to taste. Their palates are probably decently calibrated. Yeah. And then they're like, oh, this one's the best Kenyan. I'll totally. take this one, please. Yeah. And, and from, from my perspective on a wholesale side, it's the equivalent mm. of, uh, you're going to give yourself a tummy ache with that cappuccino. <laughs> I'm going to do a little dance after drinking this cappuccino. It's so gosh darn delicious. Do a little dance, a little jig. Um, it's like, it's the equivalent of us selling our flagship blend free throw to more than two cafes in the Southeast. And then that, like one of those cafes looking at the other cafe and being like, we're using the same coffee. And it's like, yeah, like I have to sell free throw to more than one cafe to be able to exist as a business. So mm-hmm. it's the same thing for an importer makes total sense. Yeah. And I mean, spe- like high grade specialty coffee is not a large slice of coffee growth or like coffee being grown mm-hmm. worldwide. It's mostly C grade stuff. Right. So it kind of makes sense that, you know, we would end up with this and then maybe a place like, 
Onyx or someone that's a little bigger could just pick up these specialty lots and get 100% of the coffee from a small farm. Yeah. Which is sick. Yeah. Pay that, it, pay that bill. It's a cool experience to source the same green coffee as another roaster that you respect and taste that next to yours. Did you, uh, did you taste this coffee next to our Kenya? No, sir. We cupped it the other day. Okay. And I was, I was pretty excited to taste the difference, uh, because this Kenya is one of my favorite coffees that we've had, uh, in, in recent memory. And I think Bellwood roasts on a drum roaster, if I'm not mistaken. And we roast on a, an, an air roaster, a Loring. So that has a factor too. Mm-hmm. Um, I assume that we're going for some of the same things. You know, we're just trying to do this coffee justice, mm-hmm. like what, what it deserves to be roasted as. Uh, but I like theirs better. I like Bellwood's better. I'll say it. Oh, I'm not afraid. You're to not admit allowed that. to say that. Oh, right. Cause we're supposed to be the best. Oh, I forgot. Uh, no, it, it was great. It's great to do that because you just learn, you oh, know? Yeah. And, uh, I know they're on a drum roaster and in our experience, drum roasters tend to pull out more body and sweetness. Mm. Whereas our air roaster tends to pull out more clarity and acidity. And I think that was definitely expressed in the two samples that we cupped the other day. Theirs was also aged a little bit more than ours. Ours was roasted less than 24 hours ago. This was aged like, you know, pretty, pretty ideally. We're like two weeks. Yeah. So, um, I will say that, but, Nonetheless, these coffees we've got brewed up here are delicious. So how did you how did you brew this espresso? Hold on one second. Because we've got the the Keys Vendor Weston Spirit triplet in the mix. I don't know if you can see in the probably in this main shot here. Cut. Cut to <laughs> main shot. Yeah. Uh looking good. Yeah, bro. I mean, I know we've been a little more hyped on putting espresso or putting coffee through an espresso grinder and dialing in that way. But I just ground it up on the EK as fine as I could go. Yep. I did start coarser, but I was like, I'm going to just have to zero this puppy out. And that's with the EK calibrated to be as fine as it can be on on zero. Yeah. Them, yeah. Them's babies be chirping almost. Them's be chirping. Um, 19.5 in. That the reason it's here is because the volumetrics are a little out of tune right now. It's supposed to be 45. It was giving me 52. Right. I was like, that works perfectly yes, in, this, in this situation. Yeah. 19.5 in, 52 out in like 28 seconds. Pretty buttery, man. Sweet. Yeah. Sweet, good, sweet, good. sweet. Sweet coffee. And then this cappuccino, you know, you don't usually have a uh, a super high acidity coffee that's probably expensive. Well, I know it's expensive because we bought the same one uh, in a cappuccino, but it's delicious. Oh, it's good. Hey, can I say something? The next like 30, 30, 45, it'll be a great time to say anything. Yeah. Happy Valentine's Day, bro. Oh my gosh. You getting into any trouble tonight? Oh man. Not, no. <laughs> We're, we are going to go on a date to uh, the Chastain. What? Michelin awarded. What? Uh, in Buckhead, uh, which is, is a city north of Atlanta for people that aren't from Georgia. And I'm excited for that because I haven't been to dinner service there. That's awesome. So pump for that. What about you? We're going to a Michelin recognized restaurant as well. Are you? Talat Market, the Thai place. Oh, cool. Yeah. in Summerhill. Super excited. Michelin recognized. <laughs> I can't remember if it got a star or if it got like the Bib Gourmand yeah. thing. Isn't that cheap food? 
I don't know. I, think I don't it think is. it's. I think this restaurant is not cheap, but well, well, compared <laughs> for you, maybe. <laughs> Oh, it's boy. cheap to somebody. That it's, is that's it's probably some, very everything's true. cheap to someone. That is true. Hey, um, yeah, uh, dude, I know we have some questions to get to. Yeah, do do we want to address the elephant in the room? The elephant that's not in the room. He is in the room. He actually is laying on the couch over there. Uh, Big T, aka Riley, is running a fever this morning, and he's not feeling well. And he wanted to be able to bring either his best or nothing at all. And he's choosing nothing at all by laying on the couch. I'd say he did something. He, he, he helped set up, you know, we don't know how to do that just quite yet. So thank yeah. you, Riley, for getting us all set up. Sorry, you're going to have to listen to what is about to happen because it's going to get like weird. Yeah. Things are going to get really odd. <laughs> uh, dude, question time. Yes. I uh, wish I had a jingle for the Q and a segment. Hey. Let's dream about what could and should be. Q and A, Q and A. That's um, all I got. We, we mentioned last episode that uh, one of our good friends and wholesale partners, Nathan Hanna, Numa Coffee, Gibbo, let's go, uh, sent some really good questions, and I'd like to hit another one of those. This Q and A segment it 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 breathes fresh life and possibility into the program. And you never know what you're going to get. So I, I really enjoy doing it. Um, he asked, from your time reading Unreasonable Hospitality, what do you think impacted each of you most? What are some obvious or not so obvious ways those ideas have impacted the staff and guests at Valor? Why don't you give a, a brief background of what Unreasonable Hospitality is for those who don't know? Right. Well, I mean, we've basically like quadrupled in listeners since we went through the book. Not saying much, but yeah, it's true. Actually, I don't know if that was true. I just picked a thing. But uh, yeah, we read this book by Will Guidara, uh, who worked in the Danny Meyer Union Square Hospitality Group family of businesses. And he took, uh, Will took over 11 Madison Park and turned it into, um, did it end up getting one? Like the best restaurant in the I world, think so. yeah. By somebody, something, some very important thing. Um, yes. And he chronicles his journey of what made them the best. And uh, my biggest takeaway was the value that he put on um, having conflicting goals, right? Because that's something that we have really pushed and tried to do. And sometimes you obviously hit a lot of walls doing that. And so you can get, uh, you could harbor disappointment or frustration. And so this concept of, you know, being a restaurant that provides the best food in the world, but also the most like empathetic and excellent service, like front of house, um, those come in a lot of uh, conflict, you know, but that conflict is what produces innovation, collaboration, communication. And it makes you think. It makes you think. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're not just going for like one thing and you can't have that like very, very narrow focus, but you have to kind of consider how every decision uh, has a different ripple effect. So doing that with the roastery and the cafes, um, thinking about the way that we hire and who we bring on, we just really have this value for, I feel like we've talked about this on the program before. 
were like kind of known for being the nice coffee place. Yeah. I think that might be starting to shift a little bit because the idea of awesome service, I think is really starting to elevate, Yeah, which is such a win. Um, but we've always wanted to match that with like the best coffee uh, made at a really fast, consistent and sustainable rate through training our team. Um, yeah. And that's, that's just kind of hard, you know, it's hard to really care about making coffee, but then also really prioritize connecting with guests um, and making it, I think he talks about making it cool to care again, you know? Yes. So praising the moments where the team does something that highlights a guest or a point of connection or going above and beyond making that known that like, Hey, that's, that's the stuff that we like. That's the stuff we want to promote is that it's cool to care. Absolutely. Anything coming to mind for you, bro? Yeah, it's it's vis-a-vis conflicting principles. Uh, he talks about the difference between restaurant smart and... Did he use the word business smart? Street smart. I'm kidding. Yeah, I think he said business, business smart. smart. Or, yeah, so sort of that... I, I see this theme so often in, our, in us, in our mm. own conversations and decision-making but also in talking with people that are starting coffee shops or other businesses where there is, there's restaurant smart and there's business smart and those are not the same thing. So something that's restaurant smart, I'm trying to think of like one of the specific examples he gave, but restaurant smart comes from years of operating a restaurant and you're like, I just know what makes this thing work. Mm -hmm. And I know how to, I know what it's like to be boots on the ground what keeps people motivated, you know, what gets the job done well. And then business smart. And well, last thing on restaurant smart is that tends to be on a more granular, granular, perfect level of, uh, you know, small micro level things, Mm -hmm. day to day, night to night, service to service things that, that you just do and implement to run the thing. And then uh, business smart is these other things like what's the best way to structure payroll, right? What, what are the, what are the, the methods and practices we're going to implement to replicate and scale this thing? And I think about the conversation that we had with Will Schertz of Methodical Coffee. Greenville, South Carolina. Uh, on the program. Uh, a couple months ago. A couple months ago. And we talked about. I, we, we asked the question, uh, do, you, do people ever say to you that they miss the old methodical? And he was like, all the time, yeah. And I asked that because a lot of people were saying that to us, that yeah. they miss the old valor. And it kind of hurt my heart when people would say that. Because I knew it, it, what it meant was that they saw something beautiful that they're no longer seeing in our mm-hmm. business. And that's something to mourn. but like. That's a perfect illustration of restaurant smart or coffee shop smart versus business smart because our vision was not just to stay with like the three owners and then like two or three employees or three or four employees behind the bar indefinitely, Mm -hmm. even though that was a very beautiful season and we really like blazed the trail of what Valor is today during that time. Mm -hmm. But if we would have stayed with those systems and those processes 
and those people, not really the people, but the people were awesome. I just mean those people weren't going to stay there forever. Yeah. And so uh, we had to zoom out and be like, okay, this is a beautiful thing. How do we sustain it? Mm-hmm. How do we make it to where we can go the distance with this? Mm-hmm. Because it's not impressive just to do a business for like six months. That's a really cool thing. Mm-hmm. Sure, you did a cool thing, but you, it was for six months. Mm-hmm. So um, employing more of those business smart uh, tactics. What What comes to mind for you? We don't have that many questions, so I'm just going to go off that. You can ask me a question. See? Uh I feel like you're a pretty restaurant smart guy. Naturally speaking, you've uh, you've embraced more business smart uh, mentality as you've grown in your role, and as we as our business has grown. Sure, um, I think that's really all three of us yeah. uh, because we started off just as baristas. Uh-huh. You know, like people ask me all the time, like what what got you into coffee, like. What's your background? And you're like, why coffee? I'm like, well, got a master's degree in coffee science, of course. Well, we analyzed several markets and we decided that coffee was the best one. No, like it's the (laughs) opposite of that. Like we started when we were 19 and we just love making coffee and we love serving people. Yeah. We just worked at, we were 19 year old baristas. That's all we were, but we had enough guts and stupidity to be like, let's start our own thing. So going from that time to like, you know, think like year one of our first cafe, how like that would be like what's what's known as like the old valor, mm-hmm. you know, what would you say are some of the like main themes of the old valor? And then what are some of the like business smart things that we've had to implement over the years? that have made us sustain our business? The first big thing that comes to mind, I was actually just talking to a little bit about this for a little bit uh, yesterday, which is fun. Um, I think a thing that made it awesome was that we kind of put the operations whole, wholly on our shoulders. So that, allowed um the pit crew to just do their job like just make coffee and connect with people we made a simple job like extremely simple and so you could just really ham it up and do whatever and then i'd be behind you or you'd be behind just making sure everything is operating Mm -hmm. but as the business has grown the amount of responsibility has grown and then we've shared that responsibility with people and called everybody higher. And I think when you have more responsibility, you can just have less fun sometimes. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so that like simplicity of work can kind of go away where kind of, kind of, uh, Will was mentioning, it's just like, yeah, we just got together and made coffee all day. And it's like, all right, who wants to do it tomorrow? Like that's, yep. that's awesome. Um, but it's like, now we're trying to do, you know, who's going to make the kegs now? Who's going to make all the syrups? Cause there's too much for me to make. Um, who's going to train these people? We got busy and then you have to train new people. Um, so that was, that was a big takeaway for me. And then honestly, 
bro, it was just slower. So thinking, we, we were, we just didn't have as many customers. We didn't have as much yeah. and as many customers. Um, and that just kind of challenges the, the landscape of mm. connection. Go there. Um, and it kind of is another call hired to like, how are you going to have intimate connections in briefer spaces? You know, because like, and that started from the cart, you know, we kind of laid that foundation mm. on our own accord of, we were doing this pop-up people would come in one at a time and we just talk. We just get to know them for like 15 minutes. cut up. Like we would just drink coffee. They would just drink their cup of coffee. It's like, you just got to like sit down and have a coffee with this person who's trying to like have a business. Yeah. You know? And then for the first people that came into Valor, like Jonathan and Matt and Caitlin, they all worked with us at the cart and watched us do that exact same thing with them. So it was an invitation to join that. Like, Hey, yeah, we just make coffee for people. When we talk, we just connect. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what we do. We make moments of delight. Yeah. And then when they come back in, we pick right back up. We remember them and that's what we do. And then going to the cafe space and bringing more people on, it was just kind of a continuation of that. And I think as the years went on specifically PC post COVID, like the lockdown kind of in that summer, it just started getting really busy. Yeah. And it was like, Oh, we have to, there's more coffee to roast. There's more syrups to make. There's more people to put on the schedule. There's more training to do. And it's like, we have to run this business now. You know, it was very manageable, but I think, um, now it's like, how do we, how do we see that? What was treasure it? And then try to bring those pieces back, you know? Um, and I'm honored that people love coming to Valor. It's awesome. We want a ton of people to come. I think, and that's where we're at is we're trying to figure out how to make an awesome, sustainable experience at the, the level of volume that we're experiencing. Right. And I was talking to David of sidetrack kind of exactly about this of like, you know, we can't control how many people are in the space, but we can try our best to like connect with them whether it's for 30 seconds or 30 minutes, you know, that's what's coming to mind for me. Yeah. What's coming to mind for you, man? Well, I had a, a good, I catered an event yesterday with Blake. Blake's one of the, the dudes who works here at HQ. <laughs> oh, he, they, everybody knows Blake. Yeah. If you ever, if you ever get coffee from us, he probably packaged it, maybe wrote the note to you on the packing slip. Um, but he was talking about his favorite wing spot. It's like five minutes from his house. Uh, and how he, when he goes in there, it's not like this, you know, super fancy flashy place at all. And there's this dude who is either the managing partner or the owner or the GM or whatever. He's like the face of he's there every day, you know? And he was just sharing how when he goes in there, not only are the wings, the exact same every single time they they're really excellent and consistent. But when you go in, like this dude daps you up and like, will like give you a side hug if, and it feels like you're in his kitchen, in mm -hmm. his home and he's going to make you some wings and like, oh yeah, by the way, he's going to charge you some money, but it doesn't feel like that, you know? And I always want Valor to feel that way, you know, mm -hmm. like I always want our cafes or, or even people who buy our coffee online to feel like 
there are just normal, regular people making this. And when you come into our cafe, when you buy our coffee online, it's like somebody stepping into our home and we're hosting them. And uh, I think about how in the early days of, of us behind the bar all the time, like that was, that came very naturally. We didn't have to try to contrive that sort of theme. One out of four customers would walk away without paying because we were just talking. Yeah. And you're like, oh, oh. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Pay? And then, like you said, like we were just slower back then. And so I'm really grateful for that season because it really like set forth some of the key ingredients of who we are today mm-hmm. connection and uh, placing dignity and value upon people and just being like, not like acting the same way you do behind the bar that you do when you're not behind the bar, just mm-hmm. acting like you. Oh, um, some of those main things are still intact today. Yep. But like when it's a line out the door, man, it, it feels different. Yeah. We're not going to like deny that. And we can do the best we can do with that set it like with that arrangement and with that level of volume, you know? Um, but anyways, I got, I got a, sort of a funny question and then we'll we'll hit our topic omg so um i'm gonna take this question and and reframe it and also keep it anonymous <laughs> so that i don't twist his words <laughs> let's talk about latte art okay i so, thought i thought you would never bring this up bro yeah so let's say someone wants to get a job as a barista got it or they want to start their own coffee company they want to okay. start a cart or a coffee shop or whatever do they need to be able to pour latte art to do that? To start a coffee cart? Yeah. Or to get a job as a barista. As in it's a prerequisite? Yeah. No, it's not a prerequisite. You can learn. Yeah. Right? How hard is it to learn latte art? Oh. You, you do a good bit of training with our team. We, t- we hire a lot of people with zero coffee experience. Yeah. You know, how, how difficult... Is it for someone to go from being able to steam like okay milk, you know, like on the first day of training, you, they can walk away with like some good microphone, you know, and like getting something on there probably. Yeah. Getting some white design on there, you know, who knows what it looks like, but going from that to being able to pour like their, their, their deck would be a heart, a three stack tulip. Not just that. Like, I feel like that's really where people start. Like how long would it take someone to go from nothing to that? Yeah. One month. One month. Okay. And is that, is that sort of just like, what, what does that progression look like? Is that people working at it every day or just in our experience? Yeah. Well, what's hard with, in our experience, it's difficult because you will probably steam the most amount of milk the earliest on when you're in a lab environment training. Mm -hmm. Because you certify for position positions at Valor. And the last position to certify for is the position that does latte art. And you are not uh you are not going to certify for that by the time your training's done. It's typically maybe months after you've been on the team. Because we just want you to learn the operation and not pigeonhole yourself in this one area of the team. Um, and especially with the volume, that's kind of like the production lead position that's doing a lot of delegating and communicating. 
but you really need to just know the lay of the land. So if someone just dedicated themselves to it on their own time and they had access to milk and an espresso machine, you could probably do it in a week. You give yourself a couple hours a day. Yeah. Probably can't do more than a couple hours a day because then you just like get kind of brain dead. You totally. Know? Um, you get tired of pulling espresso more than you get tired of steaming milk. Yeah. 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 So I'd say, no, I mean, that's something if you're trying to get into coffee, of course you'd want to be able to do that for your guests. Like if you're doing a coffee cart or whatever. Um, And there's so much material. It's so easy to learn. There's probably a lot of like weird material. That's not super helpful. It's just like really showy stuff. But I mean, you just have to kind of retrain your brain, right? Because you just fill up a cup in the weirdest way possible. Right. That's what I've been trying to explain to people more in the training. It's like, this doesn't feel normal. So don't expect to like come naturally, Mm -hmm. you know? And people vary on like entry level skill. Some people can just kind of start with a heart, you know, on day, on their first pour. Like Tina, who we just hired, like her first pour, she's like, did a heart. I was like, okay. Awesome. Great. Yeah. Let's just keep doing that. Uh huh. Um, and then some people like so far, right? So far away. So, so in your experience training people on how to pour latte art, what are some of the main things people get wrong? People don't understand oh, people. So frustrating. Oh, people, I'm man. kidding. Um, I think it's really hard for people to understand that latte art happens once you drop your pitcher down. You're supposed to increase the flow of your milk. And then it's a dual rotation of flattening out the cup and increasing your milk. You know what I mean? It's like right there. But people go from, if we finally, people will first off not tilt their cup because they really don't want to. Because basically what's hard is that you're always almost spilling the cup, right? That's kind of like the status you're in. Like the best latte art happens when you're almost or you actually are spilling something. Mm -hmm. So that rotation of like constantly keeping the liquid right at the lip of the cup the whole time is so uncomfortable for people that even if they get it tilted, when they actually start pouring, they'll immediately flatten out the cup. Yep. And then that distance between spout and the top of the like liquid surface Mm -hmm. is too great. And then you get tiny, nothing latte art. I was going to say, that's one of the main things I've seen in training people is that People's des- people again, geez, uh, their designs are always tiny. Yeah, because of a few reasons or two that I can think of. One, latte art happens when the tip of the spout on your milk pitcher gets as close as possible to the surface of the drink in the cup. Yeah, that's when the white latte art shows up. That's one thing. So that they're, it's that they're not getting close enough. The second thing is they're not pouring fast enough because they're just starting out. It's totally understandable. They're, they are scared to pour fast because they don't want to spill. Mm-hmm. And so when you don't pour with a little conviction on your pour, then this like little tiny Grinch size heart shows up. And that's the main thing I, I, I would say is like, even, even when we get past the, the form of it, once their, their form is, is looking good, the designs are too small. I've never seen someone pour too big of a latte art you know, like early on, it's, right, always, like it's always too small. The pull through is always a challenge yeah. because we're so uncomfortable with the cup being so full and then finishing like mm-hmm. this. Um, but what we don't understand just yet is how much surface area you have and how much time you have once the cup is flat and then getting someone 
naturally we pour like towards ourselves. So the designs are always very non-centered. Yep. And then um, obviously this is all under the guise that you already have good milk, okay. which is its own little journey. Mm -hmm. But honestly, because we promote so much ghosting and like we have great machines, it's not that hard. Totally. Um, so, but, but point being, if you don't have good milk, it's none very, of very hard. To no, pour. Yeah, none of this is happening. Almost impossible to pour good latte art. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's fun though, man. Yeah. Some people get it pretty quickly, but it's a, it's a journey. Yeah. But it, I, I know that it's so like idolized in the visuals, but it really is such a service ad to a guest. That's what I was going to ask you. Like how, how important is latte art to you in a cafe experience? To me personally? Sure. Or just like you're running a company. Oh yeah. How, yeah. how important is it? Is it to you in your coffee coffee shop? Sorry, I didn't mean to come off aggressive about that question. No, yeah, that was that was rough. I'm just yeah. wounded here, um, yeah. dude. I personally, I guess honestly, I I'm like, if the latte art's not very good, it's usually because the milk's not that good, and then I'm always like, eh, eh. yeah. And I'm like, I'm not. I haven't I haven't been ordering milk drinks for a long time, sure. so I don't. I need to do that more, and maybe that even speaks to I just would rather get black coffee. Because I don't trust it yet. You don't uh, tr when you go to a coffee shop. You don't trust that they're gonna get the milk right. So you're like, I'll just get black coffee. I also prefer black coffee. Okay, sure. So but that's a factor. If I ever go to your coffee shop and I get black coffee, it's not because I don't trust you. Sure, sure, sure. Because I want the black coffee. Well, you know what I do is I stand in line and I listen. <laughs> no, I don't have to look. And my my wife always calls me out on this, and we have a fun time with it. But like, like I was in. I'm not going to say <laughs> where there it's a big enough thing to where it wouldn't even matter, but it does, I'm not going to say it. So I was, I was somewhere they had an espresso machine and I just, all I can hear is in every coffee professional can, can relate to this where like they're steaming milk and it's just like, <laughs> and then you're like 30 seconds later, you're like, it's still going <laughs> like, nope. Yep. Still happening. And then it gets really quiet at the end. And they're like, oh, crap, crap. You know, because they're burning themselves. Um, and what, what's happening there is, one, they're steaming it for too long. But two, they're not adding the air in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And that's a really important thing that we teach is that when you add air into the milk, uh, it needs to happen while the milk is still below your body temperature. And the way you know it's below your body temperature is if it feels cold. Because mm -hmm. once it doesn't feel hot or cold, you know it's around your body temperature. So uh, adding air at the very end gives you that really like stiff, you know, kind of like bubbly feel where you, even if you like <laughs> tap it a thousand times, <laughs> that's the other thing I listen to. Okay. Anyway, so I, st I stand in line and if I hear that that's the milk situation, then I'm like, all right, I'm not getting a milk drink because yeah. they don't know how to steam milk. Read the room. Yeah. Um, but I think to finish your second question, it is such a, uh, a level up to the guest to like bring over a really, really well steamed, well poured drink. Yeah. I feel like they even feel it in their bones. You know, it's like a, it's a heart move. They're like, oh. Look at this. Well, you can tell somebody cared. Look at that. 
like attention to detail. when somebody pours a ripper they know they what i feel is like somebody had fun making this like they crushed this and they enjoyed crushing it and, and they hand delivered it because they wanted to see the look on your face yeah yeah yeah. Like, i'm running like, this I'm one, running this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah here you go and then he's like lock eyes you're like do you yeah. see this do you see what i just did yeah and then i just like can i take a picture with you with- right 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 and then you just like delete that cappuccino even faster because it's, then you go order another one you get another one that's good that's business smart business smart how latte art is business smart now ethan i would love to talk on the remainder of this program about something that we've had to do several times in our business mm. and with wholesale partners we talk about it all the time with people uh menu okay menu in okay. the coffee shop you know, how your menu is laid out. What are the things on the menu? Do you, you know, what syrups do you have? Is it one of those menus with like 50 different lattes? You put descriptions on the menu. You just put the title. Do you put the amount? Yeah. Pricing. Everything's market. All It's just all market pricing. (laughs) That's good. We go off the diff, you know, we get C market. C market. Diff. Diff. Yeah. Market. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Um, it's actually really complex, <laughs> but what, what do you want to hit first with this, this menu menu topic? <sighs> Dude, we can go a lot of places. I think maybe just we can hit on a little bit of our own journey. You sure. know, at one point we had just like a little card on our cart that had some drinks on it Yep, and we made those. And then when we opened the cafe, we made a bigger menu. That was still like down. It was, oh, yeah, yeah. It was still like on the counter. It was still paper. Yep. Yep. And then eventually we went overhead. Mm-hmm. We actually had foldable menus you could grab and then put back, but. No one ever grabbed them. And people took them. And people took them. Because they, they were, were so expensive. cool. Yeah. And they looked sick. They were good. Thank you, Bridget Hall. Um, Colorful panda vibes. Yes. Beautiful. Uh, and then we moved to like panels that we can reprint and put up, which is pretty good. Um, but ah, man, so you really have to choose what you're going to put on the menu because a coffee shop is similar, not the same, similar to a bar in that you can make a lot of things with the ingredients you have yeah, and you don't necessarily have to put them on the menu. Right. So deciding what you're going to put on the menu is pretty important because yeah. that's what people see. That's like their, their contact. What's funny is when people go to a restaurant, they look at the menu, right? Like before they go even, sure. like, I want to see what they have. Do you think people do that at the coffee shop? Because like coffee shops, they make the same things. I think older people do. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> if you're an older person and you look at the menu, smash like, make sure to subscribe. I think, yeah, they're like, can I get a picture of your menu? And my thought is like, sure, but it's, it's kind of the same as... It's a, a coffee shop. As, yeah, and that's the point. Is like uh, a restaurant has different food than other restaurants. You know, like, sure, everybody has a burger or whatever, but, you know, it's, it's stuff exclusive to that restaurant. And we do have exclusive stuff to our coffee shop, like our seasonal menu, and we'll get to that we'll later. We'll get to that later. <laughs> We're going to get to that later. Uh, but like... yeah. Is there a part of you deep down that's just like scrap it all, scrap the menu, go verbal? Just tell me what you like. Attaboy, style. Attaboy. 
Because we literally do that at events. Dude, have you been to Attaboy before? I went with you. you oh, oh, yeah. We had such a great time. Yeah. I do remember Cut that. Cut this out, Jim. This is too emotional for me. No, yeah. But that that it's one of our favorite bars in Nashville. And they have... We'll say they have one in New York because that sounds cooler. Yeah, the first one was in New York. And they, then they uh, moved to Nashville as well. If you've ever been to Attaboy, comment below because it's, it's, it's a great spot if you're ever in Nashville. Um, they, ex- they execute on excellence and hospitality really well mm. because they have like every bottle you could imagine. And then uh, their technique and like ice quality is oh. wild. Like they have these massive cubes of ice and they're like hand uh, forming them you know, like to order. So like excellence, but then they come to your table and it's always someone super awesome and engaging and sweet. And they're like, what do you feel like drinking today? Let's dream. Give me a few words <laughs> to describe what you're in the mood for. Yeah. And some people could just be eye roll about that. And I'm sure they are. Maybe it's not the place for them. But uh, I think they try to present it in a way that is is very open-ended and like normal. Because it's already like an abnormal thing to do that. But anyways, yeah. you're, you were talking about menu. I hate to go a little further. I know it's tangential. Do they not do anything? Like, oh, are they no like if someone's like, can I just have an old fashioned? They're like, actually, <laughs> oh, no, no. They'll make you the best old fashioned you've okay. ever had. I love that. I don't think they have vodka. Wow, that's pretty big. Which is sort of, uh, I feel like for a while in cocktail scene, it was like, if it was a, if it was a really, really good bar, they didn't have vodka. But because, now. because vodka doesn't taste like anything besides rubbing alcohol most times. And smash like if you agree. <laughs> um, but now there's like people like St. George yeah. has a really cool vodka. That's like infused with something. So like people are kind of craft. They're making it taste like stuff now. Yeah. But so I, they might have some vodka, okay. but my point is like they have almost anything and the bartenders have to be at a really, really high level to just take that information and go off of it. You know? Yeah. It's, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, I'm sure they have like variations too. If someone wanted a very simple drink, like a vodka cranberry, they probably have something like it. Yeah, and and the response, like like if if I was a bartender and you ordered a vodka cranberry, we didn't have vodka. Say it, say it. I want. Good. Are you gonna cut this? So you're gonna get me saying, <laughs> "Hey, can I have a vodka cranberry?" <laughs> Just gonna gif that or jiff it, either one. Um, Peanut butter. Yeah, like I I might say, you know what? We don't have vodka cranberry. But I could make you something that you are going to love. You know, something like that. That's like. And they're like, well, I would love a vodka cranberry. <laughs> so. Well, you know what I would love is the word. Yeah. <laughs> the thing I ordered. Yeah. 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 Anyway. So, yeah. In a coffee shop, at least in our head, because it's our industry, it's like, I'm never going to look at someone's menu mm-hmm. if I'm going to go to a coffee shop. It's like, I'm just going to go try their coffee. You might look at what coffee they roast or, or uh, serve. Because you're like, true. oh, that, that could be an attractive point. That's true. But like as far as like... The, I'm more concerned about like their equipment, you know? Yeah. And yeah, how many cacti they have in their space. But you know, <laughs> cacti count. you're not going to look at the menu and be like, okay, yes, they do have a cappuccino on, your, on their menu. Yeah, I'm going to go. Right. Yeah. Well, on the flip side though, if you see their menu and it says cappuccino... 12, 16, 20. You're <laughs> 24. Like, you're like... 32. Whoa. 64. And, and so let's do, let's go there. Cause I mean, we, there's literally, you could go to a coffee shop 
and we have cappuccino on our menu and you could go to the coffee shop down the street. They could have cappuccino on their menu. Yeah. If you order that, you could get two different products. Let's call it like it is Starbucks. Charbucks. Yeah. Five bucks. <laughs> yeah, more like five bucks. It's so darn expensive. <laughs> Except our drinks are five bucks or more. Yeah. Uh, it's funny. Anyways. Um, yeah, you're right. Like you, you would order a cappuccino at Starbucks or you could order a cappuccino at our place and you get two different things. So what would you get? What do you think you would get at Starbucks if you ordered a cappuccino? Dude, I, I don't, you honestly don't know. Do they have cappuccinos on their menu? Uh, well, we need to film ourselves going to the local Starbucks and saying one cappuccino, please. And just see what happens. Cause I bet what they would say, do you think they'd see this? They'd see my teeny beanie and be like, Oh, he wants a traditional one, one of those. Yeah. Yeah. We've got one of those here. <laughs> That's funny. Um, and get the hose out. I think they might say, okay, what size? And then you'd be like, yeah, no, yeah, oh, yeah. God, but you have a size. Like you'd be like, yeah. powered down. Yeah. Does not compute. Um, <laughs> because you know, I, I don't know if Starbucks was the culprit here or the, the pioneer rather than culprit of the multi-size cappuccino. Mm. But I think the idea is just that, uh, it's a foamy latte basically. Right. And I know that there's so many people listening to this that have worked at Starbucks before. So please let us know from your perspective as a former Starbucks or current Starbucks employee or future or future. <laughs> uh, what, it, what are, what is the difference between a cappuccino and a latte? Cause I'm pretty sure it's just like a 12 ounce latte versus a 12 ounce cappuccino. The 12 ounce cappuccino is just going to be more foamy, have more froth. Sounds good to me. I was the guy that said you can't tip at Starbucks. So my, my history with being just, accurate yeah. is out the We don't know the window. first thing about Starbucks. But a traditional cappuccino is six ounces. Right. A, a traditional slash like third wave specialty coffee cappuccino, right. you know, <laughs> uh, is six ounces. Your shot is going to be around two ounces. And then you're going to have like four ounces of steamed milk. And I, I like to make the milk a little bit more foamy. You do? Yeah. I mean, okay. like not by a lot. Cause right. like, you know, like the, uh, the diagrams on the internet where it's like different, you know, like, uh, graphics of like what a cappuccino looks like. It's like one coffee, one mm. milk, one froth. And you like spoon the froth on top, but it makes me sick to my stomach. <laughs> the injustice. But, you know, this is a, a cappuccino cup right here. It's around six, six ounces from AMCAP. Lovely, lovely cups. Good cup. Um, by virtue of this being a smaller, more narrow cup, the milk, the froth, will stack up on itself because it's just a smaller cup. So even if you steam the milk the same way as you would a latte, it would st- you would still perceive it as foamier on a, in a cappuccino because the milk just stacks up. What? That said... I still like to give it some, some air, not, not to where I can't pour an absolute ripper of a Rosetta, uh, yeah. but I like to give it a little more, a little more air. Two questions. Is that how you differentiate your cappuccino to flat white? Yes. Yes. I, I do think, um, if somebody orders a flat white, first of all, I have to figure out what the heck they mean by that. Do yeah. they want the Starbucks flat white? which is usually in like a 12 ounce cup or do they want kind of an Australian specialty coffee flat white? Uh, in which case I think they would expect like a five ounce drink, like five to six ounce drink. You know, 
I've heard so many different opinions on this, but in my mind, it's like in ascending size, you've got espresso, which is just espresso. And then you've got a macchiato, which is espresso and like one, 1. 1.5 ounces of milk, steamed milk. Mm-hmm. You've got a cortado, mm-hmm. which is equal parts espresso and steamed milk, which let's be real. It's never equal parts. Dude, you're breaking hearts right now. It's true. But I, I know I know that that's, that's the specialty coffee script that a, a, a cortado <laughs> is equal parts espresso and steamed milk. And I think that's a, a digestible way to say it. And I get why pe- people say that. But cortado cups are never four ounces. What are we talking about here? Even if they are four ounces, an espresso's not. No one's pulling 60 grammers. Okay, so you're saying a two-ounce espresso is around 60 grams. Yeah. Yeah. And that's never the case unless you're getting lungos for the, the rest of your life. But I feel like we're doing some of the biggest shots in town with 45 grams, which is just an ounce and a half. Yeah. And that's an ounce and a half of weight. You know, volume-wise, it might even be smaller. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. And so then you got Cortado and then you have a flat white, which mm-hmm. is right above Cortado. For that milk, to, to answer your question, I'm steaming that a little bit of a tighter microphone. A little more wet. A little more wet. Uh, and then, you know, going really slow with the pour, since the thinner milk is less forgiving, usually. Lock that in your brain, latte artist, all right? Yeah. If you're new. Yeah. That's helpful. It's true. Six ounces cappuccino. We already talked about that. And then you've got latte, which is a, is a, the wild west of size. You know, it could be anything. But I guess like specialty original, it was eight, but now it's 12. And some people do 10 ounce lattes. Eight, 10, 12, 16, 16, 20, 24. But what about Piccolo? Yeah. You okay. know what I mean? Gibraltar, Piccolo, other freaking, ones, uh, all these other things. <laughs> What's a Piccolo? I come to you humbly <laughs> help us and out. full of curiosity because uh, I think a piccolo is a cortado. Uh, tear me up, please go there. I think a Gibraltar is a cortado, right? Cause this is a Gibraltar cup. Dude, it's called a Gibraltar cup. Dude. I mean, Hey, back to flat white cappuccino. Would you, when you're training go niche. So if someone's new to coffee, they're new to steaming milk and you're like, Hey, when you get a cappuccino, give it a little more air. And when you're doing a flat white, do a little less air. Or would you just be like, do microfoam and learn mm. that first? Mm. Because you're not even going to be able to differentiate until later. You like, know what? If they were having a hard time, I would just tell them do microfoam. Just get good milk. Yeah. And then if they were having a good time. Okay. You're having a good time. Like, I'm going to navigate white. a little nuance Dude, for you. Nuance. So. Yeah, I mean, we always, for our menus, this is from the pop-up all the way till now. Usually on the far left, we've got that traditional espresso menu I just laid out. Yep. Except um, macchiato. We do not we put punted. macchiato. Yeah, we, we've punted on macchiato being on the menu just because not a lot of people order it. And it's kind of confusing for people, again, because Starbucks caramel macchiato is a very popular drink. Yeah. 80% of people that order macchiato at Valor typically want the caramel macchiato. 80%? 70%. 70%? 70%. Yeah, no, I believe you. And then 30% no, and then you're just like, hey, just make sure you want the little one, and then they're either like, yes, or they're like, yes. And I'm okay. like, okay, well, yeah, sorry. I was just asking. Sorry I asked. 
And I'm like, people, oh my gosh. Yeah, at, somebody ordered a uh, caramel macchiato at the uh, catering event yesterday. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> you just, really want? No, just kidding. Uh, I was like, absolutely. Yeah. And I made them a caramel latte. Yeah, well, that that was a little background I wanted to get into just to just process. This is a, I feel like this is a safe space. No one's really listening. It's just you and me. Yeah. It's just so interesting that we always say traditional, but I'm like, I don't know what they were doing in Italy. Sure. When they were making drinks. I think they were making a a, a, a macchiato, like a, a three ounce. Well, yeah, that one means marked. That kind of makes sense. I'm, I mean less that, but like, I feel like you have Italian sure. espresso drinks. You have Starbucks Americanized Italian espresso drinks where typically everything's just bigger. Yep. Multiple sizes, typically always sweetened, more or less. For, for sure. And then specialty coffee kind of like, put it together. Sure. And then like tried to like make it more nuanced, I guess. I don't know. A good illustration of that is the macchiato, because if we're going to talk about a traditional macchiato, like if you go to Italy and get a macchiato, they're going to pull, first of all, a really dark coffee, probably one to 1.5 brew ratio or may the brew ratio could be, could be either way. Cause I feel like I've seen really big shots of really dark coffee and I've seen really small shots. But they're going to do that, and then they're going to, like, torch the milk. Like, lots of foam, lots of stiff froth. They're going to spoon that out of yeah. the milk pitcher and dollop it into your demi with espresso in it. And that will be your macchiato. <laughs> and that's not the specialty macchiato. You're just doing latte art, same thing, yeah. just in a demi. You're filling up a smaller cup. Exactly. Yeah. Dude, and you've been to Italy, so I was I was four or five. I'm sure you had plenty of macchiatos. Oh, we were down in those things. We okay. just stand the espresso bar, just knock them back all day. So that's usually the realm of a lot of like conversation and like figuring out. I would say our concierge, like our registered position, their job is one part translator because people come in with a lot of different backgrounds in ordering coffee of what they like and not not in a super educational way, but we just have to figure out what they want and how we can translate it to what our menu offers and then give it to them, right? So that's where it's like, hey, I'll get a cappuccino and then I like might hold up a cup and be like, do you want this amount of cappuccino? And then they're like, no. And I'm like, I may, I'll make you a bigger thing. Yeah. Then we don't have to get into it now, but then it's like, do you tell them that you're ringing up a latte mm-hmm. or do you just be like, Wink, wink. Yeah. I'm going to get you a cappuccino. Wink. Yeah. And then you're like, latte. Right. And then they hand it off. And like, I got a latte for John. He's like, I ordered a cappuccino. Yeah. And you're like, <laughs> whatever. Save and you're it. like, we're closing. We're done. <laughs> Shut it down. Pocket that. It'll just put that away for a little bit. So then we have like something that I feel like we haven't nailed just yet. We get closer every time, but we want to highlight different ways to have like the nerd experience of coffee, right? So we want to have like a seasonal espresso option. We want to have the one-in-one. We want to have our coffee shots, like the no Meccano thing. We want to have our special brew method called the middle child. And we put it all on the menu, but literally like what? Three to 5% of people are actually interested in that. And so it's like, how do you say, you might not want this, 
You but probably don't want this, but we need to put it here. Sure. For the people that do. But then a lot of people are like, what's the coffee nerd section? And then we're like, uh, it's just all the different ways we can brew up all the different coffees we roast. And people are like, uh, not interested. And you're like, okay. Yeah. Let's move on. Yeah. Well, we, what, what have been the different iterations of that for us over the years? Well, we called it eighth wave because we were trying to be funny. Yeah. That flopped. Because, oops. So why did it flop? I guess no one just, no one got it. And yeah. then we would explain like, well, you know, people say we're in the third wave of coffee. This is like all of the like more, you know, coffee forward drinks. So we just call it eighth wave. <laughs> <laughs> and then <laughs> the guest is like, okay, okay give me my latte, please. <laughs> yeah. It, you know that it flops whenever like our team also doesn't understand it. <laughs> like that was just sort of like an art move. On on our behalf, like, it's funny. No, it's funny. <laughs> no, people think this is funny, man. Laugh. We're paying you to laugh. Laugh. Yeah. 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 Eighth wave. Uh, yeah, that was a total flop. And so then, uh, in Dunwoody, we're like, okay, let's think of a better name for this these sort of drinks. And we said, coffee nerd drinks. Right. Yeah. Was that it? That's it. That's it in both places now. Current currently still is coffee nerd, and people are still. Like, what are coffee nerd drinks? What's a middle child? Yeah. And that's fair. I, I wouldn't know what a middle child was if I walked into Valor and hadn't been before. So it's like worth asking. Of course. And then people are like, either get it because it's a six ounce cup of coffee. And they're like, really? <laughs> or they're like, can I add some stuff to this to make it bigger? And you're like, well, this is for someone who like wants to <laughs> like sip on something and really taste the coffee. It's kind of like an experimental brew method. And they're like, by that time, they're just like, oh, I hate this, God. <laughs> and then they're like, lavender vanilla latte, please. And that's when I'm like, just scrap it. Scrap it all. Let's just go verbal. Be like, what do you like to drink? And how can we get it? Dude, I get it, man. Cause then, but sometimes we want to try something different. That's yeah. Fine. Yeah. People, I feel like specifically the middle child, people that don't typically get drinks, experimental coffee drinks or drink black coffee, I think they get the middle child if they get anything on the coffee nerd menu. Yeah. I don't know if you would agree with that. Because the way that I would pitch it and the way I've heard a lot of pit crew pitch it is like it's it's in between an espresso and a drip coffee in terms of strength. Yeah. So it's like a one to nine brew ratio. So if you think espresso is too strong, but sometimes you want it to pack a little bit more punch than a cup of coffee, middle child's your drink. And then I think that's pretty <clears throat> that's pretty accessible and, and uh, tempting for a lot of people. Yeah. So we just have it on there. We got one and one on there. And I guess that's just what you got to do right now. And that's cool. It's not like we want to hide that information from anyone. I think I'm just trying to think, how can we make it easy for people to find what they want? And let's be clear. Like we are more than happy to explain anything to a guest. We want them to feel, we never want them to feel like they're out of place for asking something like the opposite of what we want to do. But what we're talking about right now is like, how can you structure your menu in a way where you're not confusing people, unnecessarily confusing people? Yeah, it's almost like them asking a question is showing you aren't making this clear enough. Yeah. So the question, when someone asks a question, I'm like, ooh, I didn't make this clear enough. Okay. Well, so that, that segues nicely into another really important topic when it comes to menu. 
which is you don't want to have too many things on the menu and specifically too many words and descriptions on the menu. Yeah. You know, so like, let's take that coffee nerd drink section of the menu as a case study. We could put in smaller letters the description of each of these things mm-hmm. under the the title of the drink. Mm-hmm. But first of all, people will just look up there and be like, oh, words, Ugh, too many words. And they're like standing in line, you know, and like we need them to like kind of go quickly and be able to reach their decision of what they want as quickly as possible, but as informed as possible. And so if there's a ton of words, then it just gets too jumbled. Uh, So you kind of have to strike that balance of people understanding what each of the menu items are, especially one that's new intuitively, but also not, but also having enough words on there to where they do understand it. So. And Riley did a really nice thing. The descriptions for the drinks are not typically on our overhead menu because of being able to read it, but on the like web one, there are descriptions. Do you have time to read it? That's nice. You're just looking at your phone. Good job, Riley. People love hey. looking at their phones. People are like, wow, more time I get spent on my phone. Another reason to pick up my phone. Win. Hashtag winning. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, dude, syrups. Yeah. Lavender, vanilla. We don't have vanilla. What? Jeez. Yeah. Guys, let me just say this. If you are, if you're running a specialty coffee company, and you're not making your own syrups, wake up. You really could. If you have a really good reason for not doing that, besides that it's hard, then I think that reason's not that good. Because it's easy. Making syrups is easy. In fact, can we just disclose for anyone out there that thinks that making their own house-made syrups is difficult, how easy it is to make our lavender vanilla syrup? Caramel is the only hard one. Sure. Whether you're doing, you're doing like a butter caramel or just a caramelized sugar syrup situation. Um, all you do is make simple syrup, which is a one-to-one sugar water. In weight. or In weight or volume, actually, right? Uh, I think weight. Just keep it weight. Okay. Keep weight. Because you can use a scale. I feel like, well, it'd be interesting to see the volume thing. Um, then you get it hot. All right. Just all the sugar. While it's hot, you put in things to extract flavor, like flowers. Or infuse. Or infuse. Like vanilla extract or vanilla beans or vanilla powder. We've done it all. Um, and then you stir it up and you let it cook for like 10, 15. I'm going I'm, I'm to work on a little pistachio syrup. See how nice. it works out. Uh, what are you using for pistachio? Pistachio. Just like chop it up. Okay. Throw it in there. Yeah, and then the whole it. idea is like you just cook it and that extracts flavor. Yeah. And then you strain it. Yeah. And then you chill it. Yeah. Done. Done. And it like keeps in the fridge for, I mean, the more ingredients, I would say like the less it keeps. Yeah. Or if you're like using like fruit or something, yeah. which we do all the time. Those, remember when the watermelon, bro, didn't have a long lifespan. Yeah. But something like peppermint. Woo. Oh, yeah. You're good. See you next 10 years. <laughs> peppermint. Yeah. I think it's, it's hearty. Um, it's, yeah, it's really easy. It's such a huge ad for 
uh, a guest to walk up and see that you have house-made syrups. Because you get to have a little fun with it. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. And and let's... I, I also don't want to have a bias because, you know, we have this nice warehouse here where we have a whole station over there dedicated to making kegs and syrups. So would you say that making house-made syrups is feasible even for a small cafe that doesn't have a production area to accommodate such gear? We did it for years in the cafe. So yes. And we have a small cafe. How did you do it? Just got a burner, a little eye, electric eye, what we call it, and a pot and a whisk. And then you just take sugar and water. Yeah. And like maybe 30 minutes. Yeah. yeah but I mean, saying. however big your pot is, you make more syrup. Hey, and you can make a good margin on syrup, especially house made, charge 75 cents, a dollar. For syrup? Four or five dollars for syrup. <laughs> That's a good add-on and it's a great margin. Even if you're using really good sugar and really good stuff. Which we do. Which we do. Organica, baby. Um, That's a good plug, man, for the syrups. Good corner, wholesale Ross. Um, dude, one thing that's a little new is seasonal menus. Yeah. Value's kind of up, right? Because as we were talking about and now what we are talking about, um, people like us, like-minded individuals can think of coffee shops as a diamond dozen, same menu items, same thing. What's something that could differentiate mm-hmm. as far as a product, a seasonal menu. Yep. Something set you apart. Sure. It might match other seasonal menus in some ways, but that's where the kind of the creative stakes can go up. Like how are we, are we going to not just do a peppermint mocha for winter? Sure. How are we going to do something? Freaking crazy. So what's your approach to crafting a seasonal menu? Well, thank you. A nice guy named Yoda that comes into Dunwoody was asking me to talk about how we make seasonal drinks. Yeah. So this is that plug moment. Um, what was your question? How do I, what's, what's our your approach? Ap- yeah. What's your approach to making seasonal drinks in our cafe? Well, Ross, it's all me. I'm kidding. That's what the great thing about having teams is that you hire such creative people um, and you have great partners. So there's like this, a lot of ideas can come in. And let me back up to say, the bare bones would be like making a seasonal syrup. Sure. And then you just use it in stuff. Yeah. Probably you would just use it in a latte. That's what we did for a while. We have, we have lavender, vanilla, caramel, cardamom, mocha, those stay, and then we have seasonal. Right. That rotates. And if that's what you got to start with, do it. It's not that hard. Um, that's what we did. I think what we're getting into now is creating kind of like models for seasonal drinks and plugging in different acids and spices and sweets, uh, to create something. And I really do run off that kind of model of like, and you helped me out with this a lot with like building a cocktail. It's like, you need to have your, your base, your acid, your sugar, and your like garnish flair spice bitter bitter Mm -hmm. thing. Um, and so kind of just running through that. And what's fun now that we have been doing our own cold brew is a plug. If you work in coffee, making, uh, drinks with cold brew concentrate is mm, 1000 times better than making it with espresso. I'm sure there are some drinks that are awesome with an espresso to add. Why is that? Uh, why is it better? Help me out. But I mean, it just, is really consistent and like chocolatey 
it like adds the same thing every time. Mm -hmm. I feel like, and maybe it's because we use free throw, which has a little bit more like pop pop yeah. to it. You're you're adding like a bitter and an acid. Yeah. And then you're adding an acid again. Mm -hmm. And then it's like volatile, you know? But cold brew concentrate is just like steady chocolate, sweet coffee flavor. Yeah. It really is like concentrated coffee flavor at that point when you're adding it into stuff and it just blends a lot better. You want to add anything to that? Well, I think when you're you're building and balancing a cocktail, you don't want each ingredient to have too much complexity mm. and volatility. You know, like if I was to take a, a cup of lime juice and slurp it cupping style, I don't, I'm not getting a lot of notes there. It's just lime. But whenever you're at, you're balancing that with a sugar, mm -hmm. you're balancing that with, in our case, coffee or in a cocktail's case, gin or something, you know, like that's what makes the cocktail go round, as it were, is that these sort of unidimensional ingredients are balancing together. And sure, you might you might have a drink where we we take this Kenya and we pull it on espresso, really high acidity, really high complexity, and we sort of play off of that. But the ingredients that you add to that in that case would need to be extra simple mm -hmm. because we're trying to amplify uh, what's happening in this coffee. However, yeah. With cold brew concentrate, it's simple by design. It's it's basic by design. It's not supposed to have high degrees of acidity or complexity, and so it's sort of just playing the like grunt role in the in the drink, where it's like that tastes bitter and sweet, and it tastes like coffee, mm -hmm. and that's exactly what we need it to be. And then mm -hmm. we sort of can add maybe a syrup that has a little bit more complexity or yuzu. Hey, or whatever it is, but sort of operating off of that, that framework of like, these are the, the sort of archetypes of drinks on our seasonal menu. What, what's been one of your favorite archetypes you've come back to on, a, on one of our seasonal menus? Well, the most steady is <clears throat> kind of a specialty cortado, which is funny because it kind of started as a joke. Mm -hmm. We had a drink called the Tokyo Drift which is kind of a joke name, like Fast and Furious reference. And it just really took off. We used like a little bit of syrup through smoked glass, orange blossom syrup, grated nutmeg, expressed orange peel. Just came together really well. And then I think we realized, you know, with our seasonal syrups and throwing in a couple different spices, like a cortado is just a really fun way to show off different flavors because it's a little more concentrated. And it's usually in a nice glass. And it's in a nice glass, so it yep. looks good. You feel good. It's awesome. So like a little specialty garnished cortado mm -hmm. has been one. I think we've always, we've consistently now that we can make our own sparkling water, have been doing like a sparkly either coffee or matcha drink mm -hmm. that's got like a sugar, sparkling water, an acid, um, matcha, cold brew concentrate. Mm -hmm. And then some sort of garnish as well. That's been really fun. Um, Sprohito. Sprohito. Is that in that category? That is definitely yeah. in that category. Sprohito number two. <laughs> um, Cherry Seinfeld. Um, That's kind of like a, a soda. A soda. A soda pop. A holiday hoobie, what like highball yeah. kind of thing. Um, and then now that we have cold brew concentrate, which we've had, I just kind of stepping into it more, is making like a coffee cocktail mm -hmm. model, like a little a flip if you will, yeah. like a shaken, creamy thing. 
So we did that with the Valor House Flip in the winter. And then on our Valentine's Day special, we have the DTR half and half syrup, Colbert concentrate, shake, strain, black pepper, cocoa powder. It's just really black pepper. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. A little spice on the nose, bring it out. Yeah. Um, and I realized like, especially with a seasonal syrup, if you're really proud of it, it's really fun to show it off in smaller drinks mm. because we're using like typically all organic, definitely always all natural ingredients. And like, it's hard to just make that always pop through, like punch through a latte, you know, sure. you're just usually tasting milk at that point, like sweet milk. And the, I mean, it is showing up, but like making that blackberry white chocolate syrup and throwing in that DTR, I was like, whoa, yeah, I can really get it all here. I yep. can pick it up. Um, so that like coffee flip model has been really fun yeah. as well. Sort of like an espresso martini would be the analog to that. And <clears throat> I think uh, something that really helped me in in making drinks, cocktails, and uh, and coffee stuff too, is a book from Death and Co. Uh, called Cocktail Codex, mm-hmm. and it was a it was one of the more revelatory books in the culinary world. I've read so many culinary books. Wow. Oh, just kidding. Um, because it it basically starts with the assumption or claim that every cocktail that's ever been made has, it comes from six different roots, like six different families of cocktails. And it sort of explores each root. So like one of the roots is an old fashioned Mm -hmm. and really what we're dealing with there is a spirit. So, you know, bourbon, like in an old fashioned, a bitter, which would be like the aromatic bitters, a sweet, should be like simple syrup and that's that's the archetype and so you're like okay so i'll take that and then i can make something off of that mm-hmm. um so like if you've ever sat in a cocktail bar or if you've ever sat in a coffee shop and you look at all these bottles on the wall they're like man how do they know how much to add of how much and why like i think it really comes from that understanding that there are maybe six or seven or five families of cocktails archetypes that you can play off of and riff mm-hmm. off of like the cortado the uh the tokyo drift that's just like a shorter latte it's a shorter flavored latte with a garnish mm-hmm. and then whenever you put it that way it could, you could sort of it kind of devalues it a little bit but like so what like it, it helps you understand it and it helps you be able to make your own drinks helps you riff easier because you're like okay that's the that's how it is. What's the garnish? Mm-hmm. Do we want to do something to the glass? Let's smoke the glass. Yeah. What do we want to put on top? Do we want to express something? Mm-hmm. You know, what do we want to sweeten it with? Yeah. It's almost like you, you need to understand the different flavors at hand here. So like just to name them, you got like coffee. That's kind of a flavor, especially when you're making a coffee uh, signature drink menu. Coffee, bitter. That's sort of in coffee, but you could sort of play off that in another way, like quinine. Quinine. Uh, sweet. So simple syrup or a seasonal syrup that you're doing. Acidity, which would be like a fruit of some kind um, or another type of acidity. Another one would be smoke, like smoking the glass, like you said. And then spice, 
you know, like a, a nutmeg garnish or cinnamon mm-hmm. or cardamom, something like that to like add. We've even done stuff with cayenne spice. Mm-hmm. And there's probably other ones too. But the point I'm trying to make is like, you've got all these different things, all these different themes you can play with. And the right combination of the right ones is how you start to be able to make your own drinks. It's mm-hmm. a good word, bro. So just to put a, a bow on that, what, how much of signature drinks do you think we're selling? A uh, good bit. Probably like 10, 10, 20% of drinks are typically running seasonal menu. Mm-hmm. People are interested. I think that's why we've kept doing it amidst that heightened responsibility. You know, it's like, well, people really love this. It's like something special to the guest experience as well as working at Valor. You know, like all of those drinks that we mentioned we're not just like a soul. This was my idea. Totally. Or this was this person's idea. But it's like Mikey has an awesome idea. Joey has an awesome idea. Lilby has an awesome idea. And then it gets refined and then it gets made, you mm-hmm. know? So uh, it's just like a fun aspect of working at Valor. It's like, oh, maybe I can come up with something that will be a seasonal drink, you know? And I understand, I was talking to somebody recently, like I understand why maybe some coffee shops would be like, let's just do the, the classics. We're just going to do a traditional menu and we're not going to worry about it. It does take a lot of my time. It takes a lot of time, resource, money, to like source ingredients constantly, try new things. But it's like, what do you want to be? And if exactly. that's part of what you want to be, mm-hmm. that's the cost and it's worth it. Yeah. It's worth it for us. Yeah. Well, this has been an awesome time today. And we people, have one more thing. Yeah, A lot that, of people say we wouldn't have fun, but I had fun. I had fun too. We need to review this coffee. From Bellwood. Kenya Kamwangi. Well, you already talked about how you're going to quit Valor and go work at Bellwood because you loved it so much. Yeah, I just love their coffee. Joel, Charles, you're getting a good one in Ross. So, Oh, thank you. Have fun. Start with the packaging. So, custom bag. Single-use label slapped on there. 12 ounces of coffee. A little floral pattern on the side. Matt, they got great, simple colors with the green and the white. Respect it. They've had, I think they've had the same logo since the get. Since the get-go? Sorry if I'm wrong, but. No, I, th- I, I think so. That is what I'm, I'm, I'm looking at here. Karinyaga. Okay. They kind of have a similar model to us where it's just like, maybe they don't have like a description about the coffee on here, mm-hmm. but they have like their classic company bio jargon on right. the back um which is awesome little website no cure code riley sorry um he's <laughs> asleep it's and yeah i mean it's they go for i think they've had the same colors kind of a, a consistent brand identity since mm-hmm. the get bravo that. that's always preferable um okay content out of 10 shout out tommy for making the brand um Content out of 10. One, two, two three, three, seven. seven. Oh, aligned. Classic. What about aesthetic? Out of 10? Sure. One, One two, two, three, seven. seven. <laughs> <laughs> UX? I didn't open it, but I mean. Oh, we know this bag. Seems like a five <laughs> to me. I mean, <laughs> I guess, I guess, uh, I think we usually give, we usually give a three or a four for like a classic experience. Sure, sure, sure. I think five is reserved for an elevated. Like super exciting stuff. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's not necessarily an exciting UX. Which is hard because typically when people go for an elevated experience, it's usually a, like a miss as far as UX. Like I, I feel like we downgraded Big Face because it was like hard to get to it. Yeah. You know, but they, they made extra steps. Which, not, yeah. Not that you would know about this, but opening an iPhone. Yeah. That's an elevated experience and it's easy. You know, like they, they really, they really nailed that. Great so, job, Apple. Shout Thanks, out to Apple. you. I know you're listening. Uh, let's crunch this coffee. Well, you want to start with the crunch? I guess we don't have to. I mean, what, what did you think about the flavor? I kind of already talked about it, but I mean, this is this was one of my favorite coffees we've had uh, in recent memory, like I said, and they also did an awesome job with it. Um, cappuccino was amazing. Espresso was, was great. Jeez. Yeah. Okay. Uh, flavor out of 10, one, two, three, eight. eight. Dang. Dial. Are we brothers, actually? People always say that we're brothers. We are brothers in the Lord. Yeah. Does that translate to like flavor? Uh, Calibration? Kind of yeah. Yes. Yeah, okay. Actually. Enjoyability out of 10. One, two, three, Nine. eight. Okay. Dude. What's going on? Uh, I'm just mad <clears throat> that it was better than ours. Oh, okay. Okay. Let's crunch. The crunch test. This is big. This is what's going to set this them apart. This makes or breaks people. Everything. That's good. Comment below if you've started crunching coffee more since watching the program and breaking your teeth. I know someone here has. <laughs> crunch out of five. One, two, three, Four. three. Three point five. All right, dude. Time for some basic addition here. You got this, man. Thank you. While you're doing the addition, I would just like to say thank you for listening to this program. Um, Ross, I had an awesome time. I'm excited to do it again next week. I don't know what we're going to talk about next week. Maybe how much coffee shop owners make because that's what we were going to talk about this week. But I think we just needed Riley here. Yeah, I, I meant to say that at the beginning. But yeah, last last program we talked about disclosing our salaries and that's just kind of a funny thing to do. Uh, and we're just fine with doing it. Uh, but even more importantly to talk about like what, what a business model in a coffee shop really looks like. Mm. And if you want to start a coffee shop one day, how much you could make earning a living running a coffee shop. The grand total is 37. How much did free throw get? I think it was, I think it was 42. This guy, this coffee scored pretty high. That's pretty good. It's an awesome coffee. They didn't even know that we were reviewing it. I, I know. Luke just uh, went and bought it. Yoinked it. Dude. You're awesome. You're awesome, man. Hey, let's have a great work day. Let's dream about what could You're going to keep working after this? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Even though it's Valentine's Day, it's national holiday. I'm not taking Valentine's Day off. Dude, grind life. Hustle life. Hustle. Never stop. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you guys have a great rest of your day or night. And thank you for tuning in. Peace.